0: Please take your Bibles today and turn with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 17 and verse number 6. Proverbs chapter number 17 verse number 6. I need you to keep your Bibles open today. We're going to be looking at some other passages that are critical to our message today. Proverbs chapter 17 verse number 6. Today being Father's Day, I do want to take advantage of that opportunity to speak on Uh, This subject today, because I just know that it is a great need in our nation for us to have good men that will lead our country back toward God. And I want to take the passage in Proverbs 17 and verse number 6 and preach on three things about a father to be thankful for. A father to be thankful for. And in saying that, I want to say that there are two sides to the coins of fatherhood and childhood. Most fathers learn as they go. Not all of us were born and raised in a Christian home and had things implanted into us of how to raise a godly family. And so we kind of had to be a student and a teacher At the same time. And I'm sure that there are many men. Under the sound of my voice. Who would like to have a redo. In certain circumstances and situations with their sons and their daughters. I'm sure of that. I think it would be a proud and arrogant man. Who would think otherwise that he is a perfect father. But I also believe that most sons and daughters are not sure. How to evaluate a father. There may be some emotional feelings that you have, good or bad, about father on Father's Day. It's like Mother's Day, man. There's a a whole gamut of emotions and feelings that occur on a day like today. Sometimes really good, sometimes really bad. But most sons and daughters really have a difficult time of how to evaluate it. And they struggle with sincere appreciation for some things that they should appreciate about their fathers. What I have learned, both as a a son and as a father, that time and life's struggles helps see some things a little bit clearer. And the further you get away from your childhood and become an adult and face life, And you look back upon your childhood and you look back upon your relationship with your parents, things become a little bit clearer. And you're able to kind of zero in on some things that help make you what you are. And I'm referring to the good things that are in your life. And by the way, you can use your parents as stepping stones or stumbling blocks. They were not meant to be monuments. They were meant to be stepping stones. Take the good and go on with it. And quit being a victim, if that's what you are, in your mind. And say, I can't help, I can't this, blah, blah, blah. You have the choices to make for your own life. and Quit using mom and dad as an excuse for anything that's in your life. And press on. Use it as a stepping stone. Now I want you to look in chapter 17, verse number 6. The Bible says this. I want to take a biblical journey with you this morning and I want to stop along at some serious landmarks of honorable fathers where that you can bow your knee and thank God whether he's already gone to be with the Lord or whether he's still alive today. Some very serious landmarks that you can say, Boy, well, I sure thank God my dad was, that that's in him, that's like him, that's what he is. Look in verse 6. Children's children are the crown of old men. That means That if you're a grandfather, the Bible considers you to be an old man. I just want to let you know that. But what a blessing grandchildren are. I am an older man. I have grandchildren. I'm an older man. Amen. And the Bible says in verse number 6, And the glory of children are their fathers. The glory of children of their fathers. And so, you know, when your father's name is brought up in a conversation, especially when you become a teenager or a young adult or an older adult, you really don't want to have to hang your head in shame or be humiliated. You rather would be able to kind of say, Yep, my dad was a man of integrity. And one of the reasons why my life has been blessed is because of some of the things that he has taught me in my life. What an honor and a blessing that would be. But listen, every son and every daughter in their young life, they do look to dad and they do love their father and they do uh, want a relationship with their father. Unfortunately, not every father wants a good relationship with his children. And that's a fact. But I want to look at some good things today. I want to look at three high marks of some things that you should be thankful. Some are very clear and plain. And I'm just going to state the obvious on some things today. But I hope you'll be able to grab a hold of something. Maybe not all three, maybe just one. But I hope you can get all three. But one of the things that I want to mention to you, first of all, that you should thank God for, is if your father is a worker. You got that? A worker. Isn't that a simple statement? A worker. A provider. A producer. Not a parasite on society. 1 Timothy 5.8 says this, and God is so passionate about this. He says that if a man does not provide for his own, his own family, his own wife, his own children, if he does not accept that responsibility and provide for his own family, regardless of how many hours it takes or how many jobs it takes. If he will not provide for his own family, the Scripture says he is worse than an infidel. You don't want to be an infidel. You, you say, I don't want to be somebody who blasphemes and denies that there is a God. The Bible says if a man doesn't work, doesn't provide for his family, he's worse than an infidel in the sight of the Lord. That's pretty bad. That's pretty low. You know about our Father, our our Heavenly Father, our God. Did you know that when you open up your Bible and you start reading the book of Genesis, immediately you see Him working? Working. And He worked for six days before He took a day off. Did you know that The normal in America for working and the word work and workers has changed drastically in this generation. When you say a day's work for a day's wage, when you say a week's work, it has different meanings today in which we live. But in the older days and how this country was founded and how even the Lord established it for mankind, is that a man worked six days and rested one. And many of those six days, he'd worked from sunup to sundown. You've heard the phrase, they went to bed with the chickens? And the reason for that was because they were slap wore out. And it got dark and they went to bed early and they got up early. I think back upon my childhood... And I think back, and I'm I'm just using this as illustrations to help you to see where we are in our thinking about some of this stuff. And I want to pass over this point quickly and move on to the next one. You know, I I grew up in an agricultural type of atmosphere. My grandfather being a sharecropper, my dad being also a farmhand, a farm worker, and then a millwright worker. And so, you know, when I started working on the farm and getting paid for it, we had to be on the tractor at 7. We got off at 6 o'clock in the evening. We got a lunch break. And that was about 5 or 6 days a week. And that was as a teenage boy, and I thought that was normal. And then when I moved to the cotton seed plant, the, I thought, well, this is going to be better. And I, but I still thought it was Normal. We worked from 6 o'clock in the morning till 6 o'clock in the evening, six days a week when, when, the, when the cotton was coming in and we had to be processed. You had to get after it. You had to get it done. And some of the men worked seven days a week. I told them that I would not work on Sunday because I had become a Christian and I wouldn't do it. And they didn't fire me for it. But I still had to work six days a week, 12 hours a day, and I thought that was normal. And then when I got a job in a plant there in Amory, got paid twice as much money... For half the hours, I said, "Man, this is pretty good." But it was a breeze for me to just work forty hours a week and get paid twice as much. That was great, and with some benefits. And then when you know the then when the Lord came calling in the ministry, He was fixing to put me into something that was twenty four seven. And so, but I'm just saying that you were you conditioned sometimes mentally and sometimes what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah is that they had so much idleness and fullness of bread that it led to many perverted lifestyles and I'll promise you one of the things that would help America is that if we didn't have so much spare time and I know we're going through some going to go through some hard times but we still have a lot of spare money and and spare things that we take for granted in our lives you know, I'm just saying, I think back on my childhood, and I'm thinking about both my grandparents, both my, my grandmothers, neither one of them ever had a driver's license, never drove in a vehicle. My mother never had a driver's license, never drove a vehicle. And my grandfather only had a tractor that he drove and two pair of mules that he drove. And I'm saying that they survived. And they had a well and an outhouse, and they survived. And they worked, and they worked, and they didn't have a lot of foolish time. And I'm saying that if you have a father that knows how to work, doesn't whine about it, I'm going to tell you something that's, that's normal, and that is for a kid to be glad to see his dad coming home. In other words, you really kind of grew up without seeing dad most of the week, most of the day or most of the week. Now, that's not true for every profession. But I'm talking about on the norm is that dad goes to work and mom's at home with the kids and they're glad to see dad when he comes back home. That's the that was the norm for many years in America. And ladies, if you think sometimes that your husband is well, he just he just seems to never be at home. Well, what is he doing? Okay, does he come home and then does he does he work some more? And if you have a man that is willing to work, man, you ought to thank God for him. And kids, if, and I'm not saying that you ought to be a workaholic, but, you know, there are people who always criticize guys at work. You know, and, but I'm just saying if you got a dad that is not a sluggard, thank God this morning. If you have a dad that's not slothful, thank God that you do not have a deadbeat dad who is a parasite on society. And who is looking to earn his own paycheck and not looking for the government to put one in the, the uh, mailbox for him. Amen. You ought to thank God for him. But that's just the light part of the message. I want you to go with me to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter number 4. So when you look back on your past, especially those of you who are grown, you look back on your past, if you had a dad, maybe he might not have been a saved man. He might not have been a spiritual man. But he was a working man. You have something to be thankful for. You ought to be grateful that He taught you how to work and how to be responsible for some things in your own life. There are some men that did not know the Lord in our nation that knew how to work and provide and protect their family. Nehemiah chapter 4, I really want to emphasize these last two. Uh, Chapter number 4, Nehemiah chapter 4. I want to say, first of all, you should be thankful that you have a father had a father or have a father who is a worker, who is not afraid to work, who is not a sluggard and a slothful man. Nehemiah chapter 4, look with me in verse 13 and 14. The second point I want to make this morning, you ought to thank God this morning if your father is a warrior. Now when I use the word warrior, he may not be in military battle. He may not have ever been in in the military. But not every warrior is necessarily in the country's military. But every man who loves his wife and leads his family must and is a warrior. I want to show you what I mean by this. Look in Nehemiah chapter number 4 and he's got a warrior's mentality. Did you know that again, talking about our Heavenly Father who was a worker and took a day off to rest, that our God also is called a man of war. The Lord wants to be known as a warrior. Paul told Timothy to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Nehemiah chapter 4. So when you get into adulthood, you find out that you're in a battle. When you get into life and have to face responsibilities, you find out... It is a war. And I want you to find out, look with me in chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. This is where Nehemiah is trying to revive his nation, rebuild some things that were broken down. And notice what he says here. I believe that a man, a good man, is a warrior, a protector of his family. Notice what he says in chapter 13 and 14. He said, therefore set I in the lower places behind the wall and on the higher places. I even set the people after their what? Their families. With their what? Their swords. Hmm. Their spears and their bows. So obviously, these folks were now not out to attack somebody, but they were out to protect What they had. And to protect their families. Is it all right to own a weapon for the purpose of protecting your family? Absolutely. Verse 14. And I looked and and rose up and I said to the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord which is great and terrible. And look at this word. And fight for your brethren your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. There are a couple of things in this chapter that I want to show you that a man must be a warrior about because we are engaged in a war in America to save our sons and our daughters. Let me say this though about the home to start with. I came across a good article. Talking about a warrior. He used, uh, he, his name was Joe Martin. He wrote an article and used military terms about dads. For example, he said there are five kind of dads. He said, and he uses terms like POW and uh, AWOL and things like that. And here's what he said. He said there are five kinds of dads. He said there's the POW, the prisoner of war. He said they're present but not positively engaged Instead, they are often enraged and full of anger. Anger is that father's general disposition. And like someone that is trapped in a marriage, and a family, and the children have to walk around that type of father on eggshells lest they flip his switch. The other one was called AWOL dad, absent without leave. He is present but absent emotionally, and can be seen, but cannot be connected to. Then there is the reserved-duty dad, the part-time dad, engaged when it is convenient, timely, and fun. Then there's the MIA, the missing in action, who helped bring the child into the world, but now is absent. Child may not even know who or where their father is. Got a lot of those in our generation here in America. And they're asking you to provide for them. Amen. And number five, he called the active duty dad. That's the active, available, accessible, attentive who provides, protects, and is passionate about his family. You have that kind of dad, you ought to be thankful for that. Amen. But let's talk about this warrior here, all right? I believe, according to verse number 7, we are facing a cultural war. And you better get ready, guys. You're going to have to really do some stepping up as fathers. And ladies, if you're going to choose somebody to marry and and be your husband and the father of your children, you really need to have a warrior in these days. And here's what I mean by that. Look in verse number 7. This is the enemy of God coming against Nehemiah and these families. And the principle is, these things have not changed. Okay? The, the, society, The world hates God and godliness. It always has. It always will. Verse 7, chapter 4, It came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wrath. The world hates a God-loving, God-fearing family that is not afraid to identify themselves for what they are, what they believe, and how they stand. And you'll notice here in this cultural war, it is important that you understand that the world is after your family and you are going to have to push back. You cannot be passive about this. And you'll notice that there is some pushback here that Nehemiah says you're going to have to fight and you're going to have to be willing to show yourselves to be men. A cultural war. You know, what's coming at us is coming in like a flood. Pride month here in America is an absolute abomination to God. I mean, it's an abomination to him. He looks down from heaven, and he sees the White House, and, the, and, and, and many of the, our embassies around the world flying a rainbow flag that should represent the promise of God that he would not judge this world again with a flood. But instead, it means that we are totally, what can I say, uh, depraved and perverse. That's what that means. Okay. And that we, basically as America, we do not anymore. When's the last time that they put up a flag for the the standard of a godly man? And a normal family? And a straight family? You understand? And so when you see this, you know, I was thinking about what's happening today. and Bear with me of what's happening here in America. God is for men showing themselves to be men. Now keep your hand where you are. We're going to come back to this, okay? I want you to go with me to Jeremiah 51. So what you want is you want to have the same attitude that God has. Is that right? Wouldn't you like to have a godly attitude? I mean, I don't want to be ashamed sometimes of getting angry at the right things. I don't want to be ashamed and feel guilty for getting agitated over things that are ungodly. But people will beat you down. They'll try to make it, you ought not be you, ought, you, know, you should tolerate that. You should show more love. They don't understand what they're saying. But look in Jeremiah 51 and look in verse number 30. If there's anything that God wants from a warrior and from a husband and from the father is for him to show himself to be a man and not be afraid of his distinctions. Chapter 51, look at what the Lord says here in verse number 30. He's talking about, here He's talking about the men of Babylon. And God is judging them. And he says this through Jeremiah, verse thirty. He said, The mighty men of Babylon have forborne to fight. That means they've avoided the fight. They declined to become engaged. They have refused to defend their families. He says they have remained in their holes, their might hath failed, they became as what? As women. They became as women. Listen, ladies, there's nothing wrong with being like a woman if you're a woman. Today, men don't even, uh, just our nation doesn't even know what a woman is. Now, isn't that stupid that a preacher would have to say that? When you've got somebody listen listen there's always been perverts in society in every generation every society every nation what gets in trouble with a nation is when the higher courts and the judges and the leadership of that nation begins to legalize that which is immoral and ungodly so when you have a supreme court justice who is asked a direct question, question what is a woman and she doesn't have enough judgment and courage to be able to just simply say what a woman is. We are in big trouble. And when you've got little kids that are being messed with, you talk about you're talking about um, child abuse. when you've got a kid who plays in his imaginary world when he's five or six or seven. And he may pretend to be this and pretend to be that, but that's not what he is and that's not what he's going to be. But you've got these buzzard adults who are predators who fall down upon that child and says, Oh, you little boy, you want to be a little girl, huh? Or a little girl, oh, you want to be a little boy, huh? Well, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll give you some drugs and we will help your little mind change and we will make a weirdo out of you. And we'll make you suicidal by the time you're 25. And so what you're looking at, listen, Mattel likes to sell toys. It's all about money. And so they they do their research about boys and girls and what sells and what doesn't sell. Before they became politically correct and trying to push an agenda, like the old day cartoons, you know, they didn't have an agenda, you know, but now they do have an agenda. The movies now have an agenda. They, This is what they said. They said, you know, when it came to making boys action figures, they said, we know how boys think and how they are. They said it was very much about telling a story through a action figurine of the good guy killing the bad guy. And so boys wanted to action figure that was the good guy and the hero killing the bad guy. That was the mentality of a young boy growing up that I am the good guy, they're the bad guys, and I'm going to protect my family from the bad guys. That's normal. That's normal. That's normal. Okay? But what you have today is, listen, even the Chinese understand this. They banned effeminate men from their TVs, and they instructed the broadcasters to re- resolutely put an end to sissy men and other abnormal aesthetics in their shows. One of the most famous shows in America is the Big Bang Theory. It's a comedy. And the leading character is a atheistic gay openly. And it starts out with a song that is imprinted, implanted upon a child's brain about the Big Bang theory. And he openly denies it, the existence of God. And yet America applauds him for his abilities and for his acting uh uh accolades. You understand? And I'm saying and then they then they th- that was so popular they made a spin-off show of that called the the uh the young Sheldon. And there's a little boy who and on that particular show they have a mother who is a Christian a Baptist, and she has a pastor who is a sissy, effeminate man. And do you think that is on purpose? And then you've got this little boy who, who can challenge that pastor and who mocks that pastor and who mocks the very existence of God. And kids today are embracing this. And fathers are being passive about this. Brother Tucker and I were talking about passive men yesterday because there was a preacher who told him, hey, these are good men, but they're passive men. And I told Brother Tucker, I said, passive men are not good men. Warriors in battle cannot afford to be passive. If you and I are in battle, I can't afford for you to be passive if you're watching my back. And I'm saying here that we live in a generation where, you know what, these movies that came out for years called Toy Story. And so they have a they have an agenda. And the Middle East has banned the movie Lightyear because of what is in that movie that has to do with homosexuality. And Doctor Strange also has been banned in some of those show, in some of those countries because of the gay characters they are promoting in those movies. And I'm saying listen, if they've got enough sense and they don't know God, and they don't fear God then what are we doing as dads? Do you care what your kids are watching? Do you care what kind of toys they play with? Do you care about their mindset and their thoughts? Well, the world does. And they're after it. And you know, and when you talk about being like a woman, you talk about a man who is being fearful, a man who's being delicate, a man who's being soft. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about being effeminate. And and listen, this thing about boys being transgenders and and attacking the girls' sports. Okay? But you don't see the girls attacking the boys' sports. You see the boys attacking the girls' sports. And what's happening in America for fathers, you're going to have to have a warrior's mentality because one day you may have to protect that little girl from some guy coming in the bathroom who pretends to be a woman. And you take him and you bop him one and then you're the one that's going to wind up getting in trouble, but you've got to be willing to get in trouble to protect your child these days. And not be afraid of those things. Not be afraid to stand up if your child attends a public school, where now there's more indoctrination than education. And if you have to take a stand, expect for you to be ridiculed in some areas. Thank God there's some God-fearing people in some of our school systems around here. But I promise you, they're making a push. And it may cost you your job. Suffer. Be willing to suffer for the cause of Christ and for your children and not be passive about these things. You know, the Bible says, uh, look with me please in Psalm 139. Real quick, Psalm 139. I want to help our young people right here for just a moment. Just in case you start having thoughts about what you are. Psalm 139. And really this is, about, this is about denying God. This is about denying the Bible. This is about being abnormal. All right? And we have got to have some dads who are willing to be warriors. You ought to thank God that your dad was masculine. Amen. And not effeminate. And if it had been a sodomite, you wouldn't be here. You're welcome. In Psalm 139, look with me please. Look in Psalm 139. I guarantee you, this this on Facebook and YouTube, going to be a lot of bleeps out of this message today. They don't like you to say anything about these things. They don't. Psalm 139. They don't care if you curse. They don't care if you curse God. And say vulgar things, but just don't tell the truth. Look in Psalm 139. Look at what the psalmist said about this. Just in case you have some issues about your gender. This is where dad and mom need to step up and say, Hey, listen, you know, you may have thoughts about this and thoughts about that, but let's see what God says about this. Look in Psalm 139 and verse 14. Look what he says this. I love this passage. I love it. Let's back up to verse 13. He says, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. Now when you were conceived, God began to do some selections about some things about you that you had no, no choice over. And we're not talking about your moral choices. We're talking about things you had no choice over. You had no choice of who your parents were. You had no choice of whether you were a boy or a girl or had blonde hair or red hair, you just had did not have those choices. That was God's design of you. And just like there is a, a difference in every snowflake and every star, God has made you very unique and you never have to apologize for that. Now look at this in verse 14. He said, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Look at this. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. God determined your gender. You receive that, and you accept that, and you build upon that. And that's why in Deuteronomy 22 5, he said, Listen, I want a clear distinction between the male and the female. You know what the glory of a man is, according to the book of Proverbs? His strength. You know what the glory of a woman is in the New Testament when it talks about the distinction between a male and a female? It is her hair. Her hair. God has made a very clear distinction and there's a whole lot more distinct between a male and a female other than just certain physical, biological parts. We're different. God has wired us different. And I'm saying that the Bible, that's why the Lord says show yourself to be a man. Right, right. Show yourself to be a man. Go back to, with me to Nehemiah chapter number 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. So I guess what I'm trying to get you to see is, hey, listen. Do you have any worries about what your dad is? Hmm? I hope and pray you didn't catch dad wearing a skirt yesterday. Or a moo-moo yesterday. Who? that's just, that's terrible to even think about that. Nehemiah chapter number 4. Look over there with me again. This is a cultural war that we are in and they are after our children and it will hurt our families and it will destroy our nation. Our president is a reproach to this nation. I honor that position, but that man is a violator of our constitution. And he is a reproach upon this nation. And he considers folks like us to be the problem. But in reality, we are the solution. We are. And we need men who were warriors in these last days to not be ashamed. Look in chapter 4 and look with me in verse number 10. Not only is it a cultural war, but also it's a church war. And, fellas, I need you to see this, okay? Look in chapter 4, verse 10. It says, And Judah said... Now, we know who the enemy is. We can perceive the the Sanballats, the Tobias, the Arabians, and the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites. We don't expect Hollywood to go along with us. We don't expect the world system to embrace us and to love us. We don't. Not in any of our, our family standards. No, not ever. Our biblical standards, we don't expect that. But what hurts is when you've got people called Christians who are apathetic and passive and who are tolerant and who side with that which is destroying the foundations of our families, our nation, and our churches. Now look what he says here in verse 10. And Judah said, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed. Okay, there is problems. We, uh, that's Captain Obvious. And there is much rubbish. That is true. But notice what they then say. So that we are not able to build the wall. If you're not going to be part of the solution, at least don't be part of the problem. And what you have here is you say, hey, they are not willing to step up and be distinct and make a difference. They didn't want to bear the reproach of Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. They wanted to be friends with them instead of helping Nehemiah rebuild the things that they needed in their nation. Look over in chapter 3, verse number 5. Chapter 3, verse number 5. Notice what it says right here. What we need is some men who are not passive, apathetic. We need to be... You know, that passage that just read where it says, we are not able... We need some Calebs who look at the situation and say, we are well able. We are well able. Yeah, there's some rubbish. Yeah, there's some problems. But we can make a difference in our families and our lives. And, fellas, I'm just telling you, I beseech you, please, don't go to sleep on God. Don't go to sleep on the church. Don't go to sleep on your family. Your kids need you. They don't understand what's going on around them. Be willing. To step up and be misunderstood sometimes by your own children while you try to protect them. Look in verse number five. Now look at this. It says, next unto them the repaired, but their nobles put not their necks to the work of their Lord. How about you, fellas? Are you willing to help us as a church to try to make a difference in a perverted society? Are you going to apologize to your co-worker for something your pastor said? That was true. Hmm? And when you're talking to your family member, and say, I went to church and I heard what your preacher said about this and this, and you get in a private conversation, well, yeah, I know he said that, and that's what the Bible says, but that's, that's not what I think or feel. That's what these guys were doing. Yeah. You are undermining. You are drilling holes in the boat. Right. You say, well, Brother Roger, I just don't like a fight. Listen We are born. Men, we are born to work. We'll work till the day we die. Brother Oakley, how old are you? Brother Oakley? Seventy-six, all right. Brother Brock, how old are you? I think 86 to 76. These two guys, it's been hot this week, right? like H-O-T-T-T with exclamation points. These two guys can out, outwork and do outwork a lot of young men today in our country. We are born to work till the day we die, and we are born into some type of warfare until the day we die. Culturally, spiritually, we must be engaged. We cannot we cannot just be passive about these things. So if you have a dad that uh, is trying to protect you, can I say something to you teenagers? If you've got a dad that's trying to protect you, if you're a young person and your dad is saying, no, you can't go there, no, you can't wear that, no, you can't look like that, no, you can't watch that, no, you can't do this, It's not that he enjoys saying no, though you think he does. It is because he wants to protect you. Now, I agree that he needs to put some yeses in some places of where there's some no's about some other areas of life. Everything can't be no. But I am saying that he is on the watch protecting you from things that you were not even aware of. You just... Would to God that that we were as smart as some of you teenagers and that we knew everything that you know. And here's the thing about it is we've been where you are. You have not been where we have been. And our goal is not to make life miserable for you. We want you to be happy and holy. But I want you to think about this with me. And I want you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 8, and I'm almost done here. Look in chapter 8, and look with me in verse number 6. Thank God, if you have a dad that's a worker, thank God that he taught you how to work, and not to be ashamed of work, and not an idle man, not a sluggard, not a parasite, a provider. And one also that is a warrior, a protector, a leader that's willing to stand against the flow and lead to provide and protect his family. Thank God for that. And Nehemiah chapter number 8, you'll notice something else here real quick in verse number 6. You'll notice that Nehemiah got some things together as a man, as a leader, because he was a worshiper. Now, some of us did not have this growing up. My dad was not a worshiper. Maybe some of your dads were not. But if you're here this morning and your dad is a worshiper of God, you ought to thank God for him. Now, watch this. Look at night, chapter 8, verse number 6. It says, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen. Amen, with the lifting up of their hands, and they bowed their heads, and they worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now, I want you to notice a few things. We had a good message Wednesday night on worship. You ought to get it and listen to it, my brother Lewis Clark. And there's so much in the Bible about worship, but let me mention just a few things about this, and we'll go to the house. Nehemiah, as a worshiper, prioritized in this passage... He prioritized their attendance in the assembly to hear the Word of God. He prioritized this, being there with God's people. And I want to say you ought to thank God. If you're a kid, you're a teenager, some of you have testified that you started going to church nine months before you got here on the planet Earth. Well, that's a good testimony. My point being is, is that you ought to thank God if you, because if your dad and your mom kept you in church, it is a great testimony that they were willing that regardless of the circumstances, the offenses, the issues that sometimes occur around church activities and, and, and all the stuff that goes with church business and the spiritual warfare that goes on, they did not allow that to knock them out of prioritizing going to the house of God. Because they believed that if they could get you to the house of God, the goal was for you to hear the Word of God, that you might worship the God of the Word. Right. And that their God would become your God. Right. You'll notice what it says here. Notice in chapter 8, verse 7 and 8, they were not just, as Brother Ed said in Sunday school, that we were not just going to a building to have an activity. but rather That's what a lot of folks are doing today. But look at verse 7 and 8. Your parent, thank God for your dad... Who's trying to find a place where you could go where somebody's opening up the Bible and they are explaining the Bible to you? Look at this. I'm not going to read all those names in verse seven. but you'll notice at the end of that. it says that they caused the people to understand the law. And verse eight, so they read in the book and the law of God distinctly, and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Before I ever knew any of you, or knew anything about New Caney or Texas, etc., we were living in South Louisiana and Franklin, and when our kids were just babies, we heard of a camp meeting in Cold Springs. We were invited to it. And we sometimes would load them kids up and we'd drive over. This was before they had a sanctuary with air conditioning. And we would come over here in July and those kids, would they would sit there and they would listen all day for hours and listen to these men of God get up and preach. And it was hot. Why would we do that? You say, well, it sounds kind of crazy to me, Brother Roger, but we weren't crazy. I wanted them to be underneath men who had an understanding of the Bible because I knew that maybe just one service, just one message could change their life for the rest of their life. That is the power of going to the assembly and hearing a message. It only takes one message to turn your whole life around. And it may not even be by your favorite preacher. The Holy Ghost can take the Word of God and change your life. See, your parents are not bringing you up in church just so that you'll be churchy. They want you to meet the living God and have a relationship with the living God. And when they are dead and gone, they want you to carry on that legacy of being a God-fearing, God-worshipping believer in this society. And you'll notice that here in this passage, in chapter 8, verse 9 and 10 and 11, and I close with this thought, is that Nehemiah knew that the joy of the Lord would be their strength. And he prioritized that. He placed great value on it. And they came and they heard the Word of God. They began to mourn. They began to weep. They recognized their faults. And that's what happens when you go to church. Sometimes you're going to hear the good, the bad, and the ugly. And sometimes you went to church to feel good and you wound up feeling worse. That's okay sometimes. Just don't stay that way. Repent, get right with God. Let God fill your heart back with some joy because the joy of the Lord will be your strength. And the Bible says here, you'll notice it says, He told them, He said, listen. He said, this day is holy I don't want you to just keep mourning and weeping. You say it's one thing when you get convicted, say, Brother Roger, that message troubled me. I was bothered by this. I'm going to say to you, thank God, that you still have a conscience and a heart that is troubled and bothered. But don't let it stay there. Don't just don't just uh be mournful and weep over it. Humble yourself before God. Say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And you know what? The Bible says that our Father pitieth us. He pitieth us. He's merciful to us. He forgives us. I like to be that way toward my own children when they're honest with me. And the Bible says He said this, and He said in verse number... Um, verse number 10. Then said He to go your way, eat, drink the fat and the sweet in portion unto them whom nothing is prepared for this day is holy of the Lord. And neither be ye sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you have a dad that has prioritized church, you had a dad that prioritized your attendance of being in the house of the Lord. If he placed great value on the Word of God in determining decisions that he made, if he has placed great value on humility and joy, you need to thank God for Him. I think that a father should be a source not only of of correction and instruction and provision and protection, but He ought to be a source of refreshing that after have gotten everything straight and everything right and everything's good, that He can be an encourager and help you go along the way. Because, fellas, our kids, our wives, our sons, our daughters, as they get grown, they go out and they have to make a living, the world is kicking them and trying to stomp them, and they need to hear a good word of encouragement from you as their father. And maybe you'll have a good word from them. Listen, you don't, you don't always have to talk about how bad everything is. At least at the end of it, give them a word of hope. And refresh them and say, yeah, that is true. Yeah, we are falling apart as a nation. Yeah, we are going down the tubes. But let me tell you what the Bible says. Let me tell you what the Lord says. Let's draw nigh close to God and let's walk with Him and let's look for Jesus to come back and let's serve Him until the trumpet sounds and let's get some rewards that will be piled up in heaven. Let's make a difference in somebody's life. Let's do right. Let's do right. And if you have a father that loves you and who stuck it out with your mom, and I don't mean that in the wrong way, that sounded bad. There's no way I can fix what I just said right there. I mean, just was faithful. Let me go back there. Strike that comment. But in faithful and loyal to your mother, in spite of sometimes their difficulties, he stayed with it. You ought to thank him. And you ought to love him. Yeah, he's got some faults. He does. And he's aware of some of them, though he won't sometimes admit them. But I'll tell you what, you've got a lot to be thankful for if you've got a dad that taught you how to work. And you've got a dad who worked as an example in front of you. And you've got a dad who has a warrior mentality, who is not a victim, who is interested in making a difference and not being like the world, and who is a worshiper of the true and living God. You, you, you've got something there that you should be very thankful for. Would you stand with me, please? Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Thank you for your attention this morning. My Heavenly Father, I pray that you would, uh, as these families disperse and they go their separate ways to their homes, and as these moms and dads and sons and daughters contemplate some of these things. I pray they'd find some good. And Lord, where there might even be some pain, I pray they'd find some good. And Lord, there are many of them who have a lot of good and a lot of things to be thankful for. I pray that sometime today they'd take the time to verbalize that sincerely while they still can. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless our church and our men that they would not become like women, that we would not be fearful and timid, but that we would be warriors and helpers of the war and part of the solution and not part of the problem. And I pray even as they go home today, Lord, I pray that they would have the proper expectations, that they would not be disappointed nor discouraged If everybody doesn't respond the way they expect them to, I pray they'd show themselves to be men and lead and love. Even sometimes when love is not returned, I pray they would initiate it. And God, I pray that you'd be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.